Matthew 12, beginning at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up with this generation at the judgment, and shall condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. This is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Receive it. <clears throat> As we've been going through the book of Matthew, we have been seeing... Jesus has had numerous confrontations with the scribes and the Pharisees. Just how bad does a generation have to be for Jesus to call it an evil generation? But that's exactly what he called the generation of his time. An evil generation. We've already seen that Jesus, along with John the Baptist, had referred to the Pharisees as a brood of vipers, meaning poisonous snakes, spiritually poisonous, that if you listened to them, if you followed them, you would fall into a pit, you would die. The scribes and the Pharisees approach Jesus, and they say, Teacher, show us a sign. In fact, they were demanding a sign of Jesus. Now, who were the scribes? We talked about the Pharisees. They were a, a sect that were seeking to apply the law of God. The scribes, particularly, were the expert expounders of the Old Testament, who were those who were to record the sayings of the wise, to impart the keys of knowledge, to open up the treasures of wisdom. That was the role of the scribe. And yet, the scribes were a brood of vipers, according to Jesus. They demand to see a sign of Jesus that would prove that he was the Messiah. Now, the, the thing about it here is, what were they seeing all along by Jesus? Seriously. They were seeing all of these things. Did not Jesus answer John the Baptist's question sent by his disciples to him? We looked at it in Matthew 11. He says, are you, the, are you the expected one, meaning are you the Messiah, or are we to expect another after you? And what was Jesus' response? 
He says, well, do the deaf hear? Do the lame walk? Are the lepers cleansed? Do the dead rise? In other words, by just saying that, Jesus was answering John the Baptist's question, knowing that John the Baptist would know the answer. Of course, when we preach through that, we think it was more on part of the fact that John was more concerned for Jesus to say that to his disciples so that his disciples would cease following him and follow Jesus. John the Baptist had always recognized Jesus as the Son of God. He was given that testimony to who that was. But the point here is, Jesus had been doing the works of the Messiah all along. So when the scribes are saying, Teacher, show us a sign, what else was he going to do? Turn with me to John 10, and, and, and take a look at verses 22 through 39. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews, therefore, gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe me. You do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give you eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. From which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and and I in the Father." Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. So when the scribes came to Jesus, saying, show us a sign, they were hypocritical. They were all along seeking to find a way to destroy Jesus. We've already been told that in Matthew 12, earlier part of Matthew 12, is it not? After he healed uh, <clears throat> Of the man with the withered hand, they were on the Sabbath, they were out, it says they conspired to go kill him. And so it was just a feigned uh, means to address him as teacher. Here they were, the teachers of the law. Teacher, show us a sign. Well, Jesus had been showing them signs all along, and yet they wouldn't believe. Well, why wouldn't they believe? Because they're an evil generation. 
They have a darkened heart. They have, they're unbelievers. Nothing Jesus could do would convince these people, these scribes. And not only just the scribes, but the whole nation was a degenerate nation, which we're going to see. And it will lead up to his crucifixion uh, when the crowds would cry out for him to be crucified and uh, to be taken away when Pilate offered them Barabbas. They wouldn't have anything to do with it. Jesus had been doing the works of the Messiah. They didn't believe it. Um, Jesus had always been doing this. Now, moving ahead a little bit, when Jesus is arrested, he will come before Pilate initially, and Pilate says, I don't see any fault with him. Uh, he's done nothing wrong. And he found out that he was under Herod Antipas's jurisdiction. He says, well, send him over to Herod. Let Herod deal with him. So he was always trying to get rid of Jesus. So when he comes to Herod, we're told in Luke chapter 23, verse 8, that Herod had been longing to see Jesus. And when he appears, and Herod says, show us a sign. Show us a miracle, Jesus. Jesus would not comply whatsoever. Now why? Jesus is not an entertainer. That's not what the signs were about. But that's what the, uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes they were wanting. They wanted, they wanted a spectacular sign to prove that he's the Messiah. Even though he was doing the works of the Messiah, it wasn't good enough. Show us a sign. Herod to, to Jesus, do a miracle, Jesus. Do a miracle for me. He's not about to, to stoop and do a miracle. He's not going to make a spectacle before this wicked uh, king. Remember, Jesus, being God, reads the thoughts of men. He knows what's in the, He knows what they're thinking. He knows their hearts. We're told numerous times he knows what men are thinking. We're told that he knows what the Pharisees are, are thinking and then addresses their thoughts publicly because he knows what they're thinking. Jesus knows that they have no part of him. They are wicked. And uh, first of all, there are several things. This would be for Jesus to uh, acquiesce to the demands of the scribes and others to do a sign would be what elsewhere in the scripture Jesus says, you don't cast pearls before swine. Because the swine won't appreciate it. It's just useless. It's a waste of time. And it will have no bearing, so don't bother to certain people. It's what Proverbs 26 says, that we are not to answer a fool according to his folly. Sometimes uh, that's why we don't need to engage uh, with atheists at times. And others, I've been over for, uh, for a long time to try to get into any kind of extended discussion with, with an atheist. I just, first of all, I know they're a fool. Because you know what the scripture says in, in the Psalms? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
Twice it says that. So the minute I'm, I'm dealing with an atheist, I know I'm dealing with a fool. And uh, outside of preaching to them momentarily, I'm not going to enter a discussion with them because they are examining foolishness. I've seen others deal with them. And they come back, and I finally have told other people, you're wasting your time with them. The way they've responded to you, you're casting pearls before swine. At that point, just preach to them anyway, and they may laugh at it, but that's all right. But you're not going to convince them because they are a wicked, evil person. They are a fool. Men... The thing about it here, when, when the, the scribes came up to Jesus and were saying to him, do a sign for us. First of all, men don't demand of God anything. Men aren't in charge. So the demand of Jesus, do this in order to believe it. You think God is going to acquiesce to that? You think God is going to kowtow to, to these people whose hearts are darkened? Hardly, men don't dictate to God anything. Now, Jesus not only called these religious leaders a brood of vipers, refusing to entertain them by doing a sign, but he said this whole generation, he says he called them wicked and adulterous, generation. They were morally corrupt. The whole generation. He says the whole generation is corrupt. Much like past generations in the history of Israel. You remember one of the greatest generations in the history of the Bible, according to the scriptures, was the generation of Joshua, Caleb. Some have said it might have been the greatest generation in the Bible. Faithful to the Lord, they finally went in in conquest of the land, in obedience to God, when the previous generation, remember, refused to go in because of unbelief, and that whole generation perished. But Joshua and Caleb and everybody under 20 will live. That generation will carry out the conquest of the land for the most part. And yet, we're told, in the, as the book of Judges begins, now from the great generation, we find a terrible generation, because it says there arose a generation who knew not the wondrous deeds of the Lord. And then they began to go after the other gods, the gods of the Philistines, the Canaanites. And it all began to go downhill. It wasn't the only time that there was uh, an evil generation. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah speak about it. Let's take a look at what it was like at one point. Turn to Isaiah chapter 50, beginning at verse 1 and following. Thus says the Lord, Where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 3. In 
Let's begin at verse 6 to verse 13. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and over every green tree, and she was a harlot there. And I thought, after she has done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. And yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went away and was a harlot also. And it came about, because of the lightness of her harlotry, that she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God, and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Now that was an evil generation that Isaiah the prophet, Jeremiah the prophet, were dealing with. And what was evil about that generation? They were guilty of spiritual whoredom. When it says they were gathered under every green tree, stones, uh, they committed harlotry with the stones and trees. you got to know something about ancient pagan religion. A lot of the Baal worship, the worship of the Ashtaroth, these, uh, there was a tree, um, and you had uh, the Ashtaroth, the Asherah tree. It was a, it was a pagan god. Uh, under the, the green trees, a lot of these pagan worships were done on elevated hills. They were done under certain trees whereby they sacrificed to these pagan gods. They looked at the trees as being something to venerate themselves. Uh, various stones, they gave uh, certain attributes of deity to these things. This was the nature of pagan uh, religion. Uh, Moloch worship. You know what Moloch was? He was just a big stone bull who had an open belly with a furnace. And you know what they did? They took their young children, the babes, and they threw them into this burning furnace of Moloch to appease Moloch. That's what they did. Of course, we do the same today. We just call it abortion. We destroy our youth. And uh, that's why some have justly said abortion is just a modern version of Moloch worship for the experience. And so what we see, God says, look what I've done for you. All of these 
years I have done these marvelous things for you. And what do you do? Remember, God's in covenant with Israel. He views uh, as a husband-wife relationship. I'm the husband. You're the bride. You're to be faithful. You weren't faithful. If you repent, I'll forgive you. But they did not repent. They refused to repent. They're a wicked generation. He says, well, then I have no choice to send you away and to make you pay for your sins. And that's what he did. We see in the history of uh, Israel, the failure of the northern kingdom to repent of their idolatry led the Assyrians, God to bring the Assyrians in 722 to utterly destroy them. And they did. Judah, learn a lesson. That's 722 B.C. Learn a lesson, Judah. But Judah's not listening. Judah's not learning a lesson. And they will consider, they will continue in the sins of the northern kingdom. So he says, I have no choice but to divorce you. And then we'll send Nebuchadnezzar in to teach you a lesson. And they will decimate Jerusalem. Carry him off to Babylon. An evil generation is a generation that refuses to believe in the true God. An evil generation is a wicked generation that despite good things done for it, mocks God, rebels against The law of this God, that's an evil generation. And so what we see here is that that generation mocked God and paid a price. Jesus says to his generation that he was living, you're a wicked generation, and they're going to be the worst. They're going to be the worst of the generation. Worse even than their ancestors, because they're going to end up killing the Son of God. They will do the ultimate grievous thing. You know, we're living in a culture, if we think, we're talking about evil, wicked generations who desire a sign. Um, And remember, what is the sign that these people are wanting? Whether it's the, the scribes, who really aren't going to believe anyway. They just want Jesus to, to entertain them. Like Herod wanted to be entertained. What, what is it like here in America? A desire to be entertained, even in religious worship. An entertainment-oriented religious worship at the expense of holiness of lives at times? That's what we see. Where there is not a desire to obey and follow Jesus. Go through the outward ceremonies, but don't obey Jesus. Living ungodly lives when they walk out of the doors of the church. That's what we see. We're seeing a, a, an 
imploding of the visible church today is what we're seeing. Now, Jesus is speaking to that's this wicked generation where the religious leaders are the ones who are the culprits. And here he's saying that we, we're seeing this imploding of the visible church, whereby now we are agreeing with calling evil good, saying same-sex marriage is okay. Well, since when? Does the Bible advocate that? Since when? But we are capitulating to sin. And that's what a wicked generation does. Entertainment-oriented, wants signs, but if the evidence is around them all the time, but they won't listen, they won't see. <clears throat> Jesus, back to our specific text in Matthew 12, Jesus' response, notice his response to the, to the desire of the scribes for the sign. He says, the only sign I'm going to give you, I'll give you a sign. But the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. He says, for as Jonah was, in the, uh, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah. By the way, this is definitive proof. Now, this may seem like a segue or kind of a little diversion, but it really isn't, and it's important. If, there have always been critics of the Bible. And, and one of the areas that the critics always bring up, you really believe that a man was swallowed by... A whale or a great fish. The Bible says it was a great fish, not a whale. A great fish. The Greek, I mean, the Hebrew word there is fish, not a marine mammal. I'll stay with some kind of great fish because that's what the Bible says. Regardless, you think that's that's scientifically ludicrous? Well, I don't care what what they think. There's a certain aspect, I and mean, you can read things that say there's been documentation of people being swallowed by a, a big fish and surviving. Really, that's not the important thing. Most of it is miraculous, to say the least. And the whole point here is, we've got to maintain the line. And, I, and what you say to these people, you just need to reverse it on them. When they mock the idea that a person could be swallowed by a great fish, you really think Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. You really believe that? And say, absolutely. Because Jesus said, said it. Jesus believed it. Well, I don't mean anything. He says, here's what you think. You calling Jesus a liar? Did, did you just call Jesus a liar? I just want to know. Is Jesus a liar? So you can turn the tables and say, Jesus believed it. And by the way, he is the Son of God. And if the Son of God believed it, I'll go with Jesus every time. I don't care what the scientific community says. Now, a miracle is a miracle. It sets aside, that's the one definition of a miracle, it sets aside the normal, natural course of events. That is what a miracle is. And yes, it was miraculous in many ways for Jonah to be swallowed. 
uh, <clears throat> and survive. By the way, only an objective reality can serve as a sign, not a myth. It was no myth about Jonah. And so the greatest support for the, the historicity of Jonah is Jesus himself. And he uses as that and says, now just like Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights, so I'm going to be in the heart of the earth, so I'm going to be in the grave. Now, <clears throat> what Jesus is saying, Jonah was a prophet of God. And he was sent to proclaim, to call Nineveh to repentance. Of course, you know the story where he was resistant. He didn't want to go. Because he, being a prophet, knew that Assyria, Nineveh was the, the, the capital city of the, uh, of the Assyrian Empire. He knew that eventually the Assyrians were going to be a real threat to Israel. And he didn't want Nineveh to be spared. Not at all. Now, as, as significant as Jonah being swallowed, by the way, that was his deliverance to be swallowed by that fish. That was his deliverance. And, and Jesus is saying, as great as Jonah, that miracle was, he says, something greater than Jonah is here. Meaning me. Jesus said, <clears throat> now notice he is, he is predicting, Jesus is predicting, I'm going to be in the belly, I mean I'm going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, just like Jonah was in that fish. But jo Jonah was delivered. I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to rise again from the dead. Something's greater than Jonah is here. The fact that the Son of God is going to rise again from the dead. And what the implications of that will be. You know, Romans 1.4 says that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by virtue of his resurrection. It did not make him the Son of God. He was already the Son of God. All it did was declare him the Son of God by the fact that he rose again from the dead. Remember, right, causing Jesus, causing people to rise from the dead is the proof that he's the Messiah. Well, he's going to rise himself personally. And then it was the ultimate crowning sign. If Jesus can rise from the dead and men don't believe this, what are you going to do? I mean, this is the ultimate. For him to rise from the dead. Turn with me to um, John 6. And look at verses 26 to 41. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. This is after you've done the miracle of feeding of the 5,000. 
do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. They said therefore to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They said therefore to him, What then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said therefore to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. The Jews, therefore, were grumbling about him, because he said, I'm the bread that comes down out of heaven. I could go on to the end of the chapter, but I won't. Because he'll talk about, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That really set them off. What, what do you mean, Jesus? You, we can't do that. That's, that's wrong. All along. Give us a sign, Jesus. Give us a sign that we may believe. Well, all right, I'm here. Moses gave us a sign. He, gave, he sent the manna. God sent the manna. Yeah. But that was just bread. I am the bread of life. I will give you. I'm the, the fountain spring of life. You'll never thirst if you believe in me. So why aren't you believing me? What kind of sign am I going to do that convinces you? Nothing. According to them. Why? Because they're a wicked, evil generation. And for us living today, we live in a time not in an age of miracles like those of the past. We must not be like those that we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 13, beginning at verse 1 to verse 5. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. 
You shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him, and cling to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery, to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Now this is a most interesting text, because most of the time a a sign or a wonder was done in order to authenticate the message of the one who's performing the miracle, like the apostles, Jesus and the apostles. So the sign was verifying, listen to this guy, what he's saying. Now, that is true most of the time, and here's a situation in which it says, let's suppose you have a prophet, and what he says comes to pass, but he tells you to go and coexist with all other religions in your culture. I'll put it in modern vernacular. You'll have that coexist uh, bumper sticker, and... uh, You'll uh, advocate what everybody else is advocating around the culture. It's, it's not, uh, don't be so narrow-minded as these Christians who think Jesus is the only way. No, as long as you are sincere, then you are fine. Go worship whatever you want. Well, the point here is, even if you have someone who can do some amazing things, and yet they are telling you, to disobey following the law of God, you sit there and say, I don't care what I just saw. I've heard enough. They are a wicked, that's a false prophet, seeking to seduce me away from the living God. And there are a lot of seducing spirits today. They're among us. And here's what they're doing. It's what I just said a moment ago. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Quit this being so narrow-minded about Jesus. That is seeking to seduce you to a false God. It is a false God. It is not true. It is the nature of religion throughout the antiquity of the human race who have thought, well, there are many avenues to God. There are many paths to the same God. The Muslims, the Christians are the same. We're not the same. We don't worship the same God. Hinduism is a false God. Allah is a false God. The New Age movement, worshiping itself, is a false God. They're all false gods. The Lord is testing us. Now, what's a wicked generation? One that abandons this to do whatever you desire to do. Believe whatever you want to believe. That's a wicked generation. It's the wicked generation of the faithless Israel of the past. It's the, it was the, the generation that Jesus was dealing with. Show us signs, Jesus. I've been showing you signs. It hasn't made any difference with you. We have the Word of God. Nothing else is needed 
besides the word of God, to believe in Jesus, the only Savior of sinners. Do not be intimidated by the wicked generation we're living in. Do not at all back away from saying Jesus is the only way. I'm telling you, the Lord is testing his church today. He is testing his church to see who's on his side or not. Are we going to remain, remain strong? Are we going to remain faithful? Or are we going to cave in like some others? What Jesus said, the only sign I'm going to give to you is the sign of Jonah. But he says, my deliverance is going to be far greater than what Jonah's ever was. Because in my deliverance, in my resurrection, I'm going to be exalted. Because when I'm resurrected, I'm going to ascend to the Father. And I want to sit at the right hand, just as David predicted in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Jesus is saying the sign of my resurrection and ascension is going to prove I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's, it's the definitive proof I'm reigning over planet earth. And so what we see, Jesus said, what's going to happen on judgment day? Here's what's going to happen on judgment day. In our text, in Matthew 12, Jesus said, the men of Nineveh, are going to rise up against that generation Jesus was speaking to. But it doesn't have to be just Jesus' generation. I've been talking about how our present generation is evil in similar respects. Well, let's compare the Ninevites with Jesus' generation for a moment. Jonah was only a prophet who preached to Nineveh, while Jesus is the Son of God, who personally bid people to repent. Not just Jonah, a prophet, the son of God, personally is telling people to repent. There's your difference. The prophet Jonah was sinful and was rebellious with no desire of mercy, did he not, for the Ninevites. <laughs> because when he asked, told them to repent, in 40 days or else, God's going to destroy it. When, when the Ninevites, starting with the king of Nineveh, repented, Jonah is all upset. I told you, God, I told you this would happen. I told you you would be merciful. See, I just knew it. What kind of prophet is upset for a whole city like the Assyrians to repent? Like I said, don't invite Jonah to your missions conference. It was a sinful response. And then he's bemoaning all that he has. And when he sends them out on top of the hill, out in the desert, to watch what happens. And when they repent, he's upset. And God caused that, that plant to grow up and give him shade. Then he destroyed the plant. And now he's all moaning and groaning again. God says, look, I, I, the reason I had that grow up, it provided you comfort, didn't it? So when I destroyed it, you were upset, weren't you? You just thought, oh, yeah, I was right enough to die because you destroyed that plant giving me shade. He says, God says, now, Jonah, why are you grieved over the fact of all these thousands of people that I decided to have mercy upon? 
I decided to have mercy on them. Now, Jonah, we know he was rebellious because he tried to run from God and do his duty. Sinful in how he wanted destruction more than their deliverance and their repentance. Jesus, on the other hand, is sinless, full of grace and mercy, abounding with it. Those in Nineveh. Well, the point here is the Ninevites repented. They repented. And they were spared the destruction. This generation, Jesus is saying, they're not repenting. And on Judgment Day, all those who repented are going to be there, and they will be, as it were, pointing a finger at that wicked generation and all other wicked generations saying, we repented, and we had lesser life than you. They had lesser life. And yet they repented. Then yet Jesus gives another example. He said, on that day of judgment, there's going to be another person who's going to rise up against this wicked generation. That's the, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, who visited Solomon, we read in Kings. As to where her kingdom was, there's not a unanimity of opinion. Some think it might be Ethiopia, but the most uh, best evidence is, is that it was, she was a queen of Sheba, which is today modern-day Yemen, there in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, over a thousand miles away. And it says, the queen of Sheba traveled over a thousand miles to go and hear the wisdom of Solomon that she'd heard about. And when she hears Solomon, she says... What I was told is not even half of what I have now witnessed. She came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus says, she went to all that effort to go listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And yet, who has the treasure? Who is the treasure house of wisdom and knowledge but the Lord Jesus? And the queen of Sheba on judgment day is going to say to all those who refuse to believe the Messiah, look, I followed, I was impressed, I listened, and I was only listening to Solomon. And remember what Jesus says, there's someone greater than Solomon who is here. So what we see here is that this wicked generation, nothing could convince them. Despite all the things he's doing, he was doing signs, they just refused to admit it and to accept who he was. And you might think in our text, has Jesus just, in verses 43 through 45, has he just thrown this thing about demons in and teach something about demons? He just... I want to teach you something about demonology here. I, no, in context, it has meaning. Notice how it ends. He talks about those spirits when they're cast out. I mean, he is teaching you something about demons. He says, when they cast out, they go through waterless places, seeking rest. They don't find it. 
They're trying to find a place to come and occupy again someone. He talks about those who were delivered from it, but then these demons come back with reinforcements. Now, when he says, I think it's just uh, an idiom when he says, he comes back with spirits more wicked than itself. Well, my, I don't know if there's more wicked demons than others. They're all wicked. I think just the idea, he's talking about the situation is compounded. You may have been uh, possessed by one demon. Now, you're going to be possessed by more demons. So that the latter case is worse than the former case. What Jesus is saying, the Jews had accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan himself. That's what they accused him. And Jesus informs them, no, I'm not casting out demons by the power of Satan. That's ridiculous. Satan doesn't cast out Satan. But he says, I'm about to tell you something. He says, this generation, he says, this is the way it will be with this evil generation. He's drawing a comparison here. The present generation of Jesus is like the man who has been cleansed, but then the demons have been come back with greater force to possess them, and the latter state will be worse than the former. In other words, it's going to get worse and worse. This generation, when we get to Matthew 23, is what Jesus is saying. He says, here's, here's where it's got to. He says, this generation has finally filled up the cup of God's wrath. You've been destroying the prophets throughout for thousands of years. God sent you prophets, you didn't listen. Now he sent you the Son of Man, and what are you going to do? You're going to kill the Son of Man. And he says, now you're going to fill up the cup of God's wrath, and now... The latter state is going to be worse than the former. The ultimate disaster is about to befall you. You know, as we, I will give you a preview on that. When we get to Matthew 23, going into Matthew 24, Jesus was always upset when he had the money changers. He drove them out of the temple saying, how dare you defile my temple? But in Matthew 23... He says to those generation, and he said to Jerusalem, when he's weeping over Jerusalem, he says, I wept over you because I tried to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. In other words, you would not believe me. Consequently, your house is going to be left desolate. Notice, it's not my house anymore. It's your house. You know, that, that's a terrible thing. You know what that means? That was the writ of divorce. That was the official divorce papers being served. God says, it's not my temple anymore. It's your temple. And not one stone is going to be left standing. I'm going to destroy this temple. In Jerusalem, the holy city, I'm going to decimate it. You're a faithless, wicked generation. 
I held out my arms to you, and you did not come. I begged you to come, and you did not come. What more signs am I going to give you? Give us a sign that we may believe in you, Jesus. I gave you signs. The greatest sign was when I was raised from the dead, and you didn't believe. When I poured out my spirit on the believers on the day of Pentecost, and they spoke in tongues before they had never known, and you heard and you saw this miracle, you heard the gospel being preached again, you did not listen and believe in them. You know, when the apostles were John and and Peter, when they were preaching on the street corners and being arrested, and then they were threatened, and then they were beaten and let go, said, don't go preaching anymore about Jesus. And they were ready to, to kill, the Sanhedrin was ready to kill the apostles. But they were hesitant because they were popular with the people, and they feared the people. And Gamaliel, by the way, Gamaliel, the respected... <coughs> Pharisee who taught Saul of Tarsus, he gave him a word of wisdom. He said, men, just leave them alone. He said, we, we faced these kind of people before, false messiahs. <laughs> if there's nothing to it, they'll just go the way others. But don't, don't rile up the people. However, if it's of God, you're not going, we're not going to be able to stop it. At least Gamaliel recognized, if it's of God, we're not going to be able to stop. They had Jesus' testimony. They had the apostles preaching. And that generation refused to believe in Jesus. The apostles came and preached Jesus. They refused to believe the apostles. God says, well, it's over. Brethren, an evil generation seeks signs of entertainment. If a person, the sign, remember this. Here's the difference between an evil generation and a godly disciple, even though he was weak. Thomas. I'm not going to believe Jesus unless I see him. He appears to Thomas and says, Thomas. You're wondering if I'm real? Just feel. Feel my hands. Touch my side. A ghost does not have flesh and blood. And Thomas fell at his feet, saying, My Lord and my God. He says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. But blessed are they who have never seen and have believed. Evil generations want signs, but they don't really want a sign to believe in Jesus. That's the problem. They want entertainment, but they don't want Jesus. We have the scriptures. We have the testimony. It is written for us. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Separate yourself from the wicked generation that we are in. Separate yourself from it. Let us pray.